original investigators believe he murdered her. They yeah. just can't prove it. It's my first initial call to the private investigator working on my dad's case. My wife jumps up from the table and says, God, who is this man coming in the backyard? I divorced him because I couldn't trust him at all. He lied to me at the very beginning. He was living two separate lives. In the water about 30 yards away, and I identified it as it was a person. We're currently listening to season two of Ashes to Ash TV, What Happened to Carolyn Blankenfeld? Episode 17, Hiding a Smile. I walk up to a house and ring the bell as my crew films from the car. I'm not sure if I was more anxious that someone would not answer the door or that someone would. I waited anxiously by the door to see if anyone would answer. So the day that Carolyn passed away, the empty boat washed up to shore on a place called Innerarity Point. Chris came out of the water about three quarters of a mile further down from where the boat had come out of the water. The person whose house he came out at's name is Doug, and we found that name in the police report, so we were really anxious to talk to him. I always like to get witness statements of people who were actually there. So this is one person I thought was extremely important to talk to. We had tried to call a number of times, but it didn't appear that the number that was on the police report was any longer Doug's number. So I just thought I would drop in and see if he was home. Quickly, I realized someone's coming up from the side of the building. Up. Somebody coming from this way. Behind you, Ash. Oh, hi. Sorry. Um, is Doug, does Doug live here? Yeah, oh, oh, okay. Um, my name is Ash and I'm a documentary filmmaker and uh -huh. we're making a film on uh, Carolyn Blankenfeld and her passing away. Uh -huh. um, and Chris had come up on yeah. your... That court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So basically I was wondering if we could even talk and see if it was something you guys wanted to be part of. So right off the bat, we ran into Doug's wife, who happens to be a little bit camera shy. So out of respect for her, we've blocked her and changed her voice but we did want you to kind of be there with us on this journey so you could have seen that first introduction to them. Back at the studio, I call Bree. Hello. Hey. Hey. How you feeling? Oh my God, I feel like shit. Oh man, I'm so sorry. I have to. That sucks, yeah, I hate that because you can't, there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to like wait through it. Yeah. Wow, well, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. So I was going to call you today. We just went really late last night. When I went to that Baba link where Chris came up on shore, like we couldn't get a hold of them. So I just went and knocked on the door and the woman came to the door and she, she thought I was the post office person at first. I said, oh, I'm sorry I spooked you because you could tell she was like, hold on, that's not the post lady. And I said, sorry, I spooked you. I was like, I'm doing a documentary on Carolyn Blankenfeld. And I said, does Doug live here? Because that's the name I had. And she said, Doug's my husband. And I said, the man who came in uh, up to your door, we're doing a documentary about his wife. And she goes, because you think 
because I could tell she was going to say, because you think he killed her, but she paused. And I said, because I think he killed her. Back in front of the house, I speak to the wife outside. I don't know. It's eerie and it just, it just, I don't know. It just bothers me and my husband. Oh so my much. God. Yeah. So. That's why we're, we're looking into, we, we investigate cold cases that have been kind of like left by the wayside and are someone. Are you, do you, yeah, we think Chris killed her. I like finished her sentence and she started crying and hugged me. <laughs> the amount of support out here is almost overwhelming. So Doug's wife was very beautiful, welcoming, and super kind to us. I felt like I had known her forever. She was also very open with us and talked about her concerned about the day that Chris came out of the water and how strange the whole incident looked. She talked about how it had weighed heavily on her mind and that probably not a day went by where she didn't think about it. By the time she was done talking, she had broken down into tears. I could really get a sense of how impactful that day was to her and how concerned she was about what happened to Carolyn. So when we got all finished with chatting, we hugged and we set up a time to come back and interview her husband, Doug. Doug's a little bit more comfortable on camera, so he was willing to do an interview with us. Doug and his wife owned the piece of property where Chris came out of the water the day of the incident. I mean, he came up out of the water, which he passed, had to go by the neighbor's houses to mm -hmm. get to our house. We have the ladder that's out there that's visible, and I don't know, was it the easiest exit from the water or mm -hmm. what his reason was behind that because the neighbors have rocks and stuff, you know, out by the water. So I don't know, was that, did he try and find the easiest exit or did you find it strange that he bypassed other places that were closer oh, yeah, than yours? absolutely yeah because yeah, yeah. i mean it's not even that deep so i mean i, I understand no the rocks, he would have been but... walking for a long ways he yeah. would have been on his feet for a good time i think one of the things that doug says here is extremely interesting because he talks about how chris didn't get out of the water at the first spot he could have as you can see here on this map, Chris could have gotten out of the water at all these other spots, and instead he goes into an inlet a little ways and gets out of the water there at, I guess, what would be considered a more convenient spot. What surprises me about that, though, is he talks about in his own words how him and Carolyn fought in the water for hours, and then he fought in the water for his own survival for hours. And then when he gets to shore, instead of just getting out of the water as soon as humanly possible, he chooses to go into an inlet and get out at a spot that's most convenient. So I think that kind of surprised me as I tried to unravel this case, and it's always weighed really heavy on me. Do you know about how many feet it goes out where you can basically stand and your head's above water? Oh yeah, you can go a long ways, unless you go out to the north and you hit that channel. I mean, mm. I can walk several hundred yards probably. really unique. I didn't know that about this bay until I got here. Yeah, it's pretty shallow. And is this a pretty deep bay, do you know, or? Uh, no, because, I mean, I was, we spent a lot of time out there, and I'll tell you, the deepest part of the bay is probably, you know, in the area where they said she was, which I know that area well, or I know the whole bay well, is probably about, at the very deepest, is about 12 feet, probably. Even in the first search on Google, when asked average depth of Perdido Bay, it says approximately two meters. That's interesting. Yeah, about 10 or 12 feet. What's the first thing that happened on the day that Chris came here? Well, basically, we had just sat down to eat dinner. It was in the evening time, and my wife jumps up from the table and says, oh, my God, who is this man coming in the backyard? 
and uh, you could tell he had entered from the water. He was wet from head to toe. So she jumps up and locks the door. And at that point, I go outside because I can see he's not struggling or hurt or anything like that. And he comes up the steps. He um, lays himself down onto the concrete and puts his face down. I mean, like straight face down into the concrete. Wow, so he's like laying on his chest. Laying and on like... his chest with his face and his nose in the concrete. So you can't see his face mm -hmm. at all. And I would ask him a question and you couldn't even get a response or hear his response because he wouldn't even turn his head to the side because he had his face buried in the concrete. And when he was laying on the ground with his nose on it, was his, were his hands by his side or out or up or do you know? I want to say they were like straight out like this. So he laid down, you know, flat like this with his nose into the concrete. Wow, so that would even be It wasn't harder. like a collapse where yeah. you fall and you're grabbing and you fall on your side or anything like that. He just set himself down gently so he didn't hurt himself and laid flat with his face into the concrete. Did you guys ever try to coax him to sit on a chair or sit up or you just thought let no, him be? No, he, he, you know, like I said, he wasn't providing any information and I just asked the questions that 911 was asking me pretty much. You know, at first I was questioning him and he wasn't saying much. You yeah. know, I was worried about kids and he said, I said, are there people on the boat? And he said like, yeah. And I said, are there, there's people in the boat? Are there people in the water? You know, because I didn't know, did we, did I need to put my boat in and, and right. get the neighbor and, and go try to pull kids out of the water or, or exactly what was going on? And then eventually said, no, his dogs were on the boat. And I think he had probably mentioned his wife at some point. And I said, well, what about your wife? Where is your wife? And he said, she's in the water. But that was almost, it wasn't even just like he had given he, well, he you doesn't, that. No, yeah, no, he wasn't volunteering any information. It's like he didn't come out of the water saying, help me, help me. My wife is, is, is drowned or drowning or yeah. anything like that. And I start asking him questions and he doesn't really respond or have much to say. At that point, I come inside and I get my phone from my wife and I tell her to run and get one of the neighbors. If people were in danger, I didn't know if people were in the water or if they needed help. And so I went back, I dialed 911 and I started asking him questions and he just said that he had lost his boat. I said, was there people on the boat? And at first he said, yes. And then he said, my dogs, my dogs are on the boat. And he had mentioned something about his wife. And I said, well, what about your wife? Where is she at? And he re replied, she's in the water. So I'm on the phone with 911. And at that point, they're asking me questions to ask him. Did he ever like demand that someone go look for her or? No, he did not say call 911. He did not say help or help me. He did not say anything like that. He really, for the most part, just seemed pretty unconcerned other than the fact that his dogs were missing. Do you recall what kind of questions the 911 operator was asking? She wanted to know how many people were in the water, mm -hmm. where they were at. He would, you know, turn around and answer the questions. And then she asked his name and he said his name, spelt his name. 
spelt his wife's name. They asked what uh, what she was wearing. He said she had on a white top and black bottoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just just your basic questions, you know. But eventually, we we got through the questions that 911 was asking, and it, we wound up that his wife was in the water. How long had he been since the moment you saw him to the first time he mentioned his wife? Would you say a couple minutes had transpired, a couple seconds? I would say it was a couple, three or four minutes at least. And you could tell he wasn't showing uh, much emotion on his face. Mm -hmm. Definitely not like someone whose wife was lost in the water or who had lost anyone in the water. Yeah. He was just, you know, just basically didn't show any emotions. Did you notice any coughing or like um, out of breath or anything? No, he did not seem like he was exhausted or from swimming or anything like that. He was just, you know, pretty much, um, he didn't collapse on the concrete. Like I said, he just slowly put himself down. Did you ever get the impression that something more serious would have happened, like collapsed lungs or? To him? Yeah. Oh no, you could tell there was almost nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And when he was laying on the ground, in your opinion, say he, his nose was kind of like on the concrete like that absolutely. for the whole absolutely. time? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. It was like flat, like in, in an uncomfortable position. And you never got the impression he was doing that to alleviate some Why would water? you put your face, you can't turn your head to the side? I mean, I just, it was very, very odd. Like I said, it wasn't like a collapse. It was like, let me lay myself down and put my face into the concrete so that nobody can see my facial expression. His behavior, I found to be very strange. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, um, it was quite odd. I just wanna break into the episode really quick and remind everybody to subscribe. If you do subscribe, you can do it right on the website. All the money from the subscriptions legitimately goes just right back into us solving these cases and really helps us out a lot. So we appreciate it if you can subscribe. If you do decide to subscribe, you can get to see episodes early, uncut interviews, discounts on merchandise, and you get to be part of our private Facebook subscriber group where we have personal Q and A's and you have a little more access to the crew. And you also can watch the episodes commercial free on our website. Also, please remember to reach out if you have tips on any of our cases, we can absolutely keep you anonymous. There's an email address both at the end of this episode and in the notes that you can reach out to if you do have a tip. Ashes2ashtv.com. A-S-H-E-S-T-O-A-S-H-T-V.com. Thank you for watching and now back to the episode. And how long after you called 911 would you say about the cops arrived? Well, before that, I told my wife to go and get a neighbor. So she comes back with a neighbor. I'm still on the phone with 911. The neighbor comes around back to where he's laying on the on the back patio and he's only there just a matter of a few seconds and he comes back around the side and I'm telling the 911 operator I said something's not right here I said yeah. you know multiple times I told her I said something's not right I said he's not not acting right mm -hmm. and the neighbor came around the side of the house and the first thing he said he says something's up he said, this, this ain't right, something's mm -hmm. up. And I told the 911 operator, I said, did you hear what the neighbor just said? He's saying the same thing I said, this guy's not acting right, something's up. Mm -hmm. So it was shortly after that, that um, 911, they showed up and then the cops started questioning him. And 
and that sort of thing. And he never did go on and on about his wife. It seemed that his main concern was his dogs. And so he was really concerned about the dogs on the boat. Did you wonder why he had just come out of the water in his compression shorts? Um, yeah, you mean his underwear? Her he underwear? was wearing, yeah, he just had on his underwear. I, I don't know. I, I really didn't, you know, think at the time. My first reaction was, you know, to try and get help that there was other people in the water. But mm -hmm. I seemed more concerned about it than he did. He just didn't seem to have much concern over it at all. And did he ever, between you talking to him and the 911 questions, did he ever mention what had happened? No, he did not provide any information other than what he was directly asked. And that's even when the cops got here, he stuck to just what he was being asked? Or were you not in There the... was not a lot of conversation, it didn't seem. And did he seem cooperative with the cops when they came? Yeah, he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't upset with them or trying to get back to the water or, mm -hmm. or you know, or anything like that. I mean, he just seemed to be sitting kind of somberly and just answering their questions. So at no point did it seem like he wanted to get out, back out and search? No, oh, no, yeah. no, he wouldn't even, no. When he finally got up after kind of laying face first. How long do you think he was laying like that for? He laid face down well until the uh, sheriff's department arrived. And then he sat up and I, you know, I was back and forth. I was going around front and then back to the backyard. And he had sat up and he said he was cold. Mm -hmm. And he asked for a blanket. Yeah. And he asked several times and uh, not that I was being an ugly person, but I just, didn't have much compassion for the guy. Yeah. He was just, it, something was just too much uh, amiss, you know? It yeah. just, so I did eventually get him a towel because the, the deputy asked me to. He said, do you have a towel? And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. So he sat up and the deputies were talking to him, you know, and then after that, then the ambulance showed up and. Do you have an idea of how much time it was <clears throat> from when he came out of the water to when the ambulance showed up? I'd say it was probably, it wasn't uh, too long, probably 20 minutes. Okay, so pretty quick. Yeah, whatever probably your average response time is. Mm -hmm. The Sheriff's Department, then the Fire Department, Sheriff's Department, and then of course the ambulance was one of the last ones. Did you or any of the neighbors actually ever get a boat out to even see, or it was never that? It was getting dark, and when the Fire Department showed up, they had launched a jet ski, and they, they made a couple loops, and then they came back, and I mean, it was dark. There was, you couldn't see. It was very, it was rough that day. Mm -hmm. The wind was blowing out of the, the northwest, and the air had a little bit of chill to it. It's not a day, especially on this side of the bay, that... I would have took my wife or my kids swimming. If you was gonna go swimming on a day like that, you would go around and find somewhere that's sheltered out yeah. of the wind and in more of a safe condition. I was a licensed boat captain, a Coast Guard captain for 15 years. And it's not hard to figure out when the wind's out of the west, then you go in the most open part of the bay around the corner, that would have been almost the absolute roughest part of the bay on that particular day. I would imagine that that boat would have been rocking pretty good. I mean, it was white caps that day, and for it to jump over where they said she did just does, is not really a very a safe thing to do at all. In your training, as far as like when someone goes overboard, 
Do you guys have certain rules of how you handle that? You definitely don't jump overboard and try to save them. Mm -hmm. That's the last thing you do. Is that kind of drilled into you? Or? Oh, yeah, that's common sense. Yeah. I mean, anybody with any Coast Guard knowledge or, or any captain, boat captain knowledge or anything, you know, knows that, yeah. You know, anybody that has any sense or has been around the water any at all knows that the last thing you do is you abandon the boat. I mean, you jump over, I mean, you're, you know, you're asking for it. It's going to be gone. Absolutely. Did you notice Chris with any uh, no, abrasions? No, he wasn't or? bleeding. He didn't have any cuts or, or anything like that. FWC asked us the same thing. Did we see any trauma or anything like that? And there was no, there was none. So you didn't see any like bruising as if he had been in an altercation or anything? No. And how about on his feet from the rocks? There was no cuts and that's quite odd because you have to come through. There's a lot of stuff, especially when you get up in this corner here, you know, old rocks and pieces of seawall and, and stuff like that. And it, it would be, unless you were being very careful and shuffling your feet, you know, it'd be very hard not to step on something and cut yourself. Was he sunburned or? No, he was actually almost maybe a little bit um, pale looking, like he had not been in the sun much. Mm -hmm. Like someone who doesn't spend much time in the sun, it's just his complexion overall, I guess, so. Was your impression of that day, was this, did the sun, or even if you don't remember, that's okay, but did you think the sun No, was it was definitely a sunny day because my wife was out back and she had the dogs and they were stretched out in the sun and I was actually inside on the couch, but I would, <laughs> you know, check on <laughs> yeah. and stuff. And yeah, I mean, it was a sunny day, but it was definitely windy. After Chris left that night in the ambulance, did, were people still around here or then it just kind of became the two of you again and, or your, you and your family? No, there were some people around. Um, they were searching. Okay. You know, they were looking for her, and, and they were in the backyard quite a bit. And when everyone was gone and the two of you had a moment just to kind of recap what had just happened, what was... Oh, what, yeah, no, it was it was just, I mean, before we even, you know, the first chance I got to talk to her, it was just like something, you know, something's up. Yeah, it's just something's just didn't definitely right. not right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not a first responder or anything like that, but like I said, I don't, you know, and, and maybe everybody reacts differently, but definitely not, not know he wasn't distraught or didn't even really seem to be that upset, to be honest with you. And I think it's kind of crazy. It seems like your wife was able to capture a picture of the boat in the water hours prior. Yeah, yeah, that all came about a couple of days later when the uh, FWC investigators showed up they were saying do y'all have any pictures and this and that and i was like well no we wasn't taking no pictures and she's like well wait a minute i was taking some pictures of the of the dogs outside that day and it just happened in the background of one of those pictures there was the the boat so obviously you had people searching around here but did you hear any bigger searches going on Larger searches as in... Like the helicopters and oh, stuff? Oh yeah, all night long it was the helicopters and the search boats and mm -hmm. all that stuff. That was that was all night. Yeah, so they were trying so, really hard to find her. Yeah, and it was too... The conditions were so rough that the boats that were out there, I mean, their lights were going, the waves were coming up over into the boats and stuff. I mm -hmm. mean, some of them would come by pretty close and it was really rough conditions. And when is the first time that you 
finally knew that Carolyn or his, the gentleman's wife had passed away or been found, or what was it that you found out? I think at some point he might have mentioned that she was gone. Oh, so you actually had the impression when he was here that she was gone. I actually had the impression that, that he thought she was gone. When you finally found out that Carolyn had passed away from another source besides just him, you just were more like not surprised because you kind of already thought that was what had happened? Yeah, yeah, I just knew that, you know, that night what they were looking for was just, you know, they were just trying to recover her body or whatever. And then after this, uh, Carolyn was found and we kind of knew the fate of it, did, did, was there rumors and speculation going around or did oh, everyone kind of just... absolutely. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, even, you know, the neighbors... And, and everybody felt it was just a very suspicious situation. And then especially if you were like the people that found the boat, you know, I know them, they're customers of mine, you know, they expressed the same thing that the condition that the boat was left in and, mm -hmm. you know, and the fact that, that he was in his underpants or had time to remove all his clothing and, or whatever. And, and also the fact that he just wasn't exhausted. I don't know, did he just, float long enough to yeah. make it or did he take his time to get to shore? Or, yeah. But there was definitely, did not seem like he was exhausted, you know, he wasn't showing any signs of exhaustion or anything like that. So it was just, it was very odd. Have you ever seen anyone just without doing like a sport, like you know, windsurfing or something? Have you ever seen someone swim in the middle of the bay? Oh, just out swimming yeah. for pleasure swim? No, not other than tubing and stuff like that and yeah. swimming to get back to the tube or back to the ski rope or anything, you know, whatever. No, you don't see him swim in the middle. I, I felt I, like when the man came out of the water within just a minute or so, it, I figured something wasn't right, something didn't add up up um, that his behavior was very odd definitely like like someone who had um, experienced a loss and cut this or not if you want but it's almost like when he had his face in the concrete he was almost trying to hide his smirk that was on his face I mean it really was and I made wow. that comment you know <laughs> to several people so the next day and, and after that you, you start thinking about it and it was just there was just too many things that didn't add up and you know you would almost think that it was an easy way to get rid of someone ashes to ash is created by ash patino associate producer kate giordano co-host production manager brie crew members montana samuels Cole Ellers, Victoria Gockler, music scorer David Patino, interviewee Doug. Subscribe on our website to watch commercial free content, ashes to ash tv.com, A S H E S T O A S H T V.com. If you know of a legal activity involving this case, please go to your local law enforcement. If you have a tip or information you'd like to leave and would like to remain anonymous, please email me at ashland57 at gmail.com. A-S-H-L-A-N-D-5-7 at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Ashes to Ash True Crime and on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Ashes to Ash TV.